Before you can say whether or not you agree with an idea or disagree with it, you have to know what is is to be understood about it. And so this is the thing that was never taught to us. You are listening to End If Love Remains, a unique show spotlighting people, ideas, science, culture, and art. Your host, Mike Lovett. Mike Lovett. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to that great podcast in the sky and if love remains, and I am its messenger, Mike Levitt, and uh, and we are you know shining the light of truth, which is coming straight into my eye. And so, <laughs> so we know it's true, but uh, <laughs> but happy we could all, everyone could be on board, and uh, very excited to have a returning guest, Carrie Baldwin. Friend of the program, scholar, author, thinker, liberty advocate, just a wonderful person. Happy to have her on. Mother, Christian, good all-around person. Thank you for being back on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thanks for that introduction. Yeah, you you bet. You know, it's wonderful having you. And and it's always a, it's always I always love talking to smart people and and you're one of them. So oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I wanted to start, I, first of all, this gives a couple things quickly, some some kind of stuff out of the way first that, that I, because people, I think as they listen to you, will want to support the things you're doing, find out what you're doing. So really quickly, what's the best way that, that you want people to, to find out what Carrie's up to and, and the things that you're doing? So you can find everything on my website, mirrorliberty.com. Really the best way though to to stay up to date on everything that I'm doing is to sign up for my email list and <clears throat> even join as a monthly member, which you can do for as little as $5 a month, but there's also a premium option, which comes with some really cool benefits. So at the very least, sign up for my email list. But yeah, other than that, you can find everything at mereliberty.com. Fantastic. <clears throat> We're great. I-, I wanted to have you on for a couple of reasons, but one, we're, we're entering this like silly season where we were we're kind of taught over the next few months who to hate and who to love and mm-hmm. and who our next kings and the royalty is going to be for the next four years. Right. And 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 you know we just had the the what is it the hot guy cock guy as <laughs> the, the <laughs> as Iowa caucus yes right <laughs> and I, I really don't care who won. I mean we we know Trump won big, but I really don't care because because to me it's it's kind of the same. But I'm I'm curious from your standpoint. Like, how do you approach this season? How do you kind of think about the the presidential election and, and you know, this American kind of religious thing that we go through every four right. years? What are your thoughts on just the whole process and, and what we're doing? Well, you know, there's a couple of things I would say to 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 keep in mind. And that's number one is politics is a game. And right now, all those candidates are playing a game. Some of them, <clears throat> well, and the thing about the game is that the way you win is by being the worst person, the worst person ever. <clears throat> so the people who lose are probably the people who, you know, 
probably the people that we should have had in in office. <clears throat> but beyond that, <clears throat> excuse me, beyond that, you know, whoever is president is not the be all and end all of American society. I know it feels that way. And, you know, I can sort of get stuck in that loop too. But if watching the debates, which I do not, I did watch the the Iowa caucus last night, but if watching these things causes you anxiety and consternation, you should probably turn it off and go do something else. <laughs> it's just not, right. it's really, it's really not worth it because at, at the end of the day, God is sovereign over what's going on and he's in control. And so, you know, <clears throat> I will say, I think it's, it's fine to have an opinion. I certainly do on who shouldn't fill these roles. Mm. There are some very obvious people who should not be there. I'm not going to get into who I think should not be there because that's sort of beside the point. But recognizing that, recognizing there are people who shouldn't be there and also God is in control you know, this goes back to what, what do you have the power to control? It's not a whole lot. It's, it's you and your reaction to things. And so, you know, leave the rest to God. No, I think, I think that's really wise. And, and I forgot to mention in my intro, you do have my, one of my quotes of the year <laughs> from, <laughs> from our last episode when we were talking about Christian nationalism and, and mm -hmm. just, you know, it was so beautiful because <laughs> it was just like, Oh, and by the way, we're supposed to, you know, actually believe this stuff that we believe that, you know, that, that the Holy Ghost is going to, you know, actually touch right. our hearts. And, you know, yeah, it, it was so beautiful. And I think that that same premise applies here. You know, we, we have to, if we actually believe what, what is scriptural, what, you know, if we actually believe that, that, you know, God has a plan for this whole thing. And, and I think, man, it, it not only brings comfort, but it also kind of helps you, you know, laugh at the silliness that, that's going on because it all mm -hmm. seems pretty ridiculous. Right. Yeah. I was actually just listening to an episode of White Horse Inn <clears throat> about misunderstood passages about the Christian life, some of which were things like, <clears throat> you know, the passage that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and you know, God has has plans to prosper you and, and things like that. And when taken out of context, which was sort of the point of the episode, when taken out of context, they can become these sort of superstitious kind of talisman. If I recite these things, then good things will happen. <clears throat> and that's not true. You know, the the point of, of those passages in scripture is to give you comfort in the midst of suffering. We're guaranteed to suffer. And you know, <clears throat> crazy people running for president who are making our lives worse is suffering. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's yeah. not it's not that it's not that we're guaranteed that God's going to give us the 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 exactly best president that we're supposed to have. It's no, this is this is a time for building faith, and there's suffering, and God's in in the midst of it, and there's comfort for that for for the Christian. Yeah, and and. And I do like think and, you know, and I hesitate bringing up like my philosophy on this only because it, because it, it sounds almost trite, but I really don't mean it this way. But <laughs> I, but I've always thought of life as kind of a game from a standpoint 
that like we if you take a step back and look at the eternal perspective you know it is such a short thing and that and 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 that seems you know sure we can understand that and it doesn't mean suffering isn't real and it doesn't mean like people don't have horrible things happen to them but if you take a step back it is a game and and i always think about that the the little vignette the little scene in cs lewis's the great divorce you know when when and and i i'm completely paraphrasing i'm making up names but the but the story is basically you know the the uh, an angel comes down to to help a, a person who's in hell to to you know go up the mountain to god and uh and he realizes he recognizes this person and 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 he says wait a sec you know didn't you murder so and so and and he's like well yeah but that's all in the past i mean come on he's he's up there too come on you join us and 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 it's really and you said it exactly right it's about how we react to these circumstances that are around us and whether we're able to show faith and whether we're able to you know stand and watch if that's what it's called to do you know yeah one of the so i was raised in the lutheran church and they do a process of confirmation when when you know they're <clears throat> when their young members become teenagers and they will give their confirmands Bible verses to sort of keep with them. My the Bible verse that was given to me was Matthew six thirty three, <clears throat> which reads, "But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you." And thirty four, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be ang- will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think it's very important to remember that, you know, although we can make plans and things like that, we have to live one day at a time. And God has given us enough for one day at a time. And that applies for politics as well. So, <clears throat> well, and, and that kind of leads me to what I really wanted to have you on because one of the purposes of this life is to live well. You know, and to do and to and in order to live well, we have to know well and we have to think well. And Mm -hmm. and that's kind of our as humans, that's kind of our great superpower is our brain and and our ability to reason and our Mm -hmm. ability to, you know, think outside of ourselves. And and you have put together the the Liberty Seminar. And and what I want to do, because I I when I saw you first pr- talking about it on Facebook and such, I had one idea. And I think after looking at it, I was, you know, not wrong, but I think it, it's much wider scope than what I thought it was. So I want you to frame yeah. um, what is a Liberty, Se- Liberty Seminar and what are you trying to accomplish? So <clears throat> the Liberty Seminar, <clears throat> excuse me. The Liberty Seminar was actually born in 2020. And when I started it, I I started it for middle schoolers, high schoolers, and adults. It is teaching critical thinking using the Socratic method. Now, what I have always done with the Liberty Seminar is have lessons that teach the skills of critical thinking, but then we have object lessons, which is where we get to practice those skills. And so previously, my <clears throat> my classes had a particular theme for those object lessons. They might have been, <clears throat> you know, free market economics or principles of liberty, things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But what I've done now, I've I've actually gone and revamped the the whole thing. 
because I was I, I realized I was getting a little too complicated with it. So what it is now, I've combined, I had something like 50 lessons across four different types of courses. And so what I've done is actually I've combined, I've taken the best lessons out of all of those. I've combined them into one course, which is basically a course that I'm marketing to anybody who's, you know, 14 or older. <clears throat> so if you're a teenager, you can take it. If you're an adult, you can take it. But what this does is it actually teaches you some very basic foundational things that were never never actually taught to you. So when we think of, of critical thinking, what we think about is analysis and debate and trying to take an idea and tear it apart and figure out how it's wrong and what's wrong with the person that, that came up with this idea and that sort of thing. That's what tip people typically think critical thinking is. And that's not it like at all. <laughs> <laughs> there is in some sense a an opportunity to analyze and synthesize, but before you get to that, you have to understand the idea in the first place. Before you can say whether or not you agree with an idea or disagree with it, you have to know what is is to be understood about it. And so this is the thing that was never taught to us. We were never taught how to actually go through the process of <clears throat> coming to understand, learn, and conceptualize an idea without analyzing it in order to figure out what it's all about. So that is what the Liberty Seminar is supposed to do. I talk about the, the tagline for it is experience the freedom of thinking well. And that's really what it is. Like at the end of the day, you know, we, we talk about politics and all the things that are going around going on around us. And you might even be inclined to think that we're having our freedoms taking taken away, which I would agree with. But at the at, at the end of the day, in the final analysis, your freedom starts with you in your own mind and the way you're conceptualizing the world. And that's not to say, you know, any of this this other nonsense, like you can manifest things through your mind, like that's not what what I'm talking about. But the way, again, the way you react to, to the world is the things is, is the thing that you have control over. And that includes your emotions, your intellectual life, your communication with others, your ability to problem solve. And those are all products of learning how to think well. So <clears throat> the so the lessons that are offered on my website, the Liberty Seminar, there's two different ways that you can take it. There's a self-directed course, which basically just takes you through the lessons of critical thinking itself. Okay. And then there is the sort of master course, which is the self-directed lessons plus online live seminars with me guiding you through the process of critically thinking through our object lessons. Those object lessons can be themed any way we want them to. In fact, I'm really excited to to be preparing for in the very near future mm -hmm. doing object lessons on manipulation, how how about it, how to resist it, how to yeah. grow through it. <clears throat> so, you know, I may have seminars on things like free market economics and principles of liberty and things like that just like I was doing before. But what this new model allows me to do is 
really have uh, used these skills with object lessons that that can be anything because that's really what it's about. It's learning how to learn and these skills literally are the foundation for teaching yourself anything. Right. And and they're so valuable, you know, and 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 one might think especially when we're talking kind of this kind of uh, upper upper level kind of kind of stuff you know where, where we're not talking about specifics that that we're talking about politics and global stuff and 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 things are happening in our nation or our state but really these are skills like if you're talking about you know how to recognize manipulation or when you're being manipulated i mean that applies not just to your senator or president but it also applies to your partner it applies to mm-hmm. you know the the people that you're dealing with on a daily basis and and right. and and not to say that those people, you know, just it's important to recognize that and then learn how to deal with those things. Right. Well, and I have an article on my website, and this has become actually one of one of my lessons in my course, but I have an article on my website which talks about how critical thinking <clears throat> is a useful response to manipulation and that all that manipulation constitutes is a failure in in good reasoning it's it's yeah. just chock full of logical fallacies so if you understand manipulation is logical fallacies and you understand how to respond to those fallacies then you know that's that's how you know that critical thinking is a tool against that in fact there's there's an article that i read several years ago from a psychologist who had mentioned one way to heal from narcissistic abuse for example was critical thinking because what you're doing when you think is you are rewiring your brain and that is something that's that's necessary when when you're trying to heal from that sort of abuse yeah no that, i think that that's incredibly important and one of the things i am i am not afraid of AI from a standpoint, if I don't think it's going to take over the world, or I don't, I really don't think it's going to take away many jobs. I, that's those aren't my fears. What I what does what I do fear with AI, and a fear, and it's a fear with kind of all technology at the bottom level, is that it gives us mind atrophy. You know, hmm. if if we're we if we keep offload, I, I think the great ideal for machines and 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 computers is that as we offload some of these simple tasks and and stuff that it that it frees up our brain to you know do the important things and i honestly don't think that's true i think it's more like the more that you engage the brain on the simple things it allows yourself to engage more and and listen i use computers i mean we're using mm-hmm. it now i use technology but i do like I'm I'm old enough to know to remember how to remember phone numbers and I can use the mm-hmm. the idea of phone numbers to to remember other numbers that I might want to know a sequence of and and we we I think there's a whole generation that's lost that whole capability Yeah. Um, well there's you know one example <clears throat> is handwriting writing in cursive that has that has an intellectual benefit to it that we're you know, in some ways we're starting to lose. I would say, you know, the thing about technology is it's always just a tool, right? It can be used for good things in productive ways that if you're conscious about, you don't need to lose any any part of your humanity in, in using it. 
<clears throat> but it can also be used in you know in a poor way in a malicious way i think that's true of any technology and so again <clears throat> how do you respond to that how do you respond to ai or or any other technology well you've got to you got to think through it right? right you know how is this a valuable tool how is it you know potentially creating a problem you know one of the the videos that i recently the the little reels that i put out recently on facebook was talking about the question of whether ai was going to replace our need to think mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's a lot of people talking about whether ai can be conscious or not and i do not believe that ai will achieve consciousness because consciousness is not simply the ability to reason <clears throat> And there's, you know, uh, there's a whole budget, there's a, there's a whole philosophical discussion that goes along with that. But at the end of the day, AI can't become conscious because of what consciousness actually is. And, you know, in, from a Christian perspective, it requires, you know, God's intervention on that. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it requires God's <laughs> intervention on that. So the best thing that AI can do is sort of reflect back to us our, you know, our instructions to it. Right. And so one of the things that I mentioned is that AI is always only going to be as good as its programming or its programmer. Right. So if its programmer is, is giving it good instructions, whatever that, that is, then it's a good tool. If the programmer is giving it poor instructions, like the programmer can teach AI to think poorly. If the, if the programmer does not think well, Right. Yeah. If the programmer has has told it that, you know, if X then Y is a logical sequence, then AI is going to to use if X then Y as a logical sequence, even if that turns out to be a non sequitur, which is a logical fallacy. And the only way you know that that's a logical fallacy is if you, as the human being, can reason through why that's a non sequitur and not, not a reasonable sequence. So and would it be fair to say then if, if the programmer can't think well, the program can't help the programmer think well, like that's yeah, gotta come from an that's, outside. Yeah, that's true. You know, <clears throat> I, I think of AI this way, God created humans in his image and humans created AI in their own image. And we are fallible fallen creatures, right? So again, AI is only going to be as good as its programmer. Now, that's not to say that AI cannot be misused or abused. It certainly can, because humans are depraved, sinful beings. And, you know, if we can do evil things, we can program machines to do evil things. Sure. But still, at the end of the day, what is our response going to be to this? Right? We can't just, you know we can't just sort of shut ourselves off from reality or you know what's coming down the pike we have to be able to respond to it and we have to be able to respond well to it which is why i've got this course man yeah absolutely <laughs> well one of the things i loved as i was i was reading through your course syllabus and you have kind of the dare tos and and mm-hmm. that implies i think a, a modicum of courage yes. <laughs> to, to to do that so talk about that like what kind of courage? Because you think about okay, you know, the, the dare to reflect was one of was one of the course courses on there, and and 
you know, why does it take courage to reflect or why does it take courage to do some, to to obtain these skills that that are Mm. important? Well, so this goes back to the question of what it means to critically think, right? And we've sort of been trained to think it's about criticizing some other idea or someone else who holds an idea that we disagree with. And it's not that. It's holding up a mirror to ourselves and looking at the way we think. It's thinking about our own thought life. It's thinking about the way we've conceived of ideas. And that can be very scary, right? Because <clears throat> at the end of the day, your the ideas that you hold, the beliefs that you have are a part of your identity, right? If you believe that you are safe, right? That's part of your identity. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and died for your sins, that's part of your identity. To hold up a mirror to those beliefs and say, are these things true? That's a challenge to your identity. So it does take courage. And I can, I, there's, there's an episode that I did with Shane Rosenthal, who actually used to be one of the producers for the White Horse Inn podcast. But now he has his own podcast called The Humble Skeptic, I think. Anyways, the episode that I did with him is titled Humble Skepticism. And one of the things that we talked about <clears throat> was how each of us had come to a point in our life, in our, our individual lives, where we had to challenge our own beliefs. And these were hardcore, basic, foundational beliefs. Now, the result of that is for us, you know, exclusively, individually, because we didn't, you know, we didn't know each other when we went through this. The result of that was that our faith was strengthened because the reality is, is that the truth holds up to scrutiny, right? So if you hold true ideas, you can push them and press them hard and they will stand up to scrutiny, right? And just that process can help gird your your own faith. <clears throat> so, but it does take courage. You know, I had to I had to face the the question or the possible reality that the way my parents raised me was wrong, right? And that's a challenge too. That's a challenge to your identity because your parents helped form your identity for good or for bad. So, so yeah, that, and, but that reflection, that being willing to look at your own thoughts and your own beliefs and ask yourself, is this true, is the necessary first step to critical thinking. Because it's always about how well are you thinking about an idea, right? Yeah. And it and it is a practice, and it and it is a it is a practice that, you know, I and and I guess I've never gone through a a, a critical thinking course, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. specifically. So maybe I should, and maybe should. I will. I, I, <laughs> I definitely should. But you know, thinking about things in a systematic way is kind of hard for me as a as a musician, as an artist. It's kind of mm-hmm. I don't think in the, I think more like this. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and so to, so to like you know break things down and, and really you know think through a logical stream can sometimes um, be difficult because I've got lots of byways that I like to take. Uh, how 
as you're going through, as you're going through with somebody, you know, these, these courses, you know, do you find that, that they're able to not just maybe think more clearly, but, but be able to track and, and able to apply this stuff? You know, I guess, what are some of your success stories? See, I just did it right there. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, number one, it is a practice. So, you know, when you take this course, what I'm giving you in this course is actually breaking it, breaking down this process of thinking into something you can see. Now, I, I try and stay, stay away from the word system because it's not like, it's not like every bit of thinking you do is this step one, step two, step three sort of process. Okay. Um, So, but there is there is still a process to it. It's just not, it's not like, you know, an engineer, for example, really likes to have his, you know, all the ducks in the row and the gear leads to the gear leads to the gear leads to the gear. Sure. And And we're glad they like that. (laughs) Yes. And I sort of teach, I teach the process as though it's, as though it's steps so that you can see it. But in that process, and this is this is part of the reason why I have the live seminars and why I encourage the live seminars over the self-directed stuff, is when you are practicing this, when you are experiencing this, and I call it brain stretching, when you are experiencing the process of thinking, you're, you're, you're going sort of where your mind is going, but you're also trying to direct your mind in a way. So, you know, you may come to an idea and your first reaction to the idea is to analyze it. Is this a good idea? Well, I'm going to teach you how to step back and say, okay, understand the idea first. And here's the process that you can use to come to understand an idea, right? Right. So I'll step you through that process. As you practice this, as with anything else, right? As you practice it, your brain becomes accustomed to the process and you can kind of make it your own thing, right? Think of when you learn how to cook a new dish from, you know, from a recipe, right? You're following a system, right? Okay. I need a cup of flour and I need, you know, this ingredient, that ingredient. And okay, next thing I do is turn on the oven. Okay. And right. So it steps you through a process, but once you come to learn it, right, you kind of create your own process, right? And you're able to you're able to do that. So <clears throat> the idea with the with the class is really sort of teaching you the components or the mechanics of thinking. It is stepping you through a process, but it's not saying this is you know the end all be all. Like if you, one of the things that I point out, <clears throat> or the 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 questions that that I discuss in one of the lessons has to do with what the like if you were to plot on a chart the the process of thinking and knowledge what would that look like well if you if you take the public schools at their word it should be you know a, just sort of a a, a straight line maybe right. it kind of darts up and down mm-hmm. like this but you're growing in knowledge over time and what I, I've asked my students this question, okay, what do you think the, the thinking process is? And I get like swirls, like, you know, they, they draw out this line that's just this, this knotted mess of a line. And <clears throat> to some degree that that's true, but I've actually conceived of it as an infinity loop that will 
constantly move that's continually moving up and down this sort of sliding scale of questions that you could be asking in your mind about any given idea. And so, you know, you make you may come down to questions down here about implications and consequences, and you're sorting through those, which is the infinity loop. And then you realize, oh, I need more information. So you're coming back here, right? And so you're never in this situation where learning is a one and done thing, right? Right. Have you ever read a book and then said, oh, that was a really good book. And then, you know, sometime later, a year later, two years later, you go back and you read the same book and you go, wow, I learned something new. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how learning works. It's never one and done. <clears throat> and so I'm taking you through that process of of recognizing that and and sort of seeing the system behind it. I, I love that infinity loop idea. And it makes me think like how it's also fractal in nature. Like, like Mm -hmm. it all, like, like you said, you can ask the same questions, but you can ask them at a deeper level. You can find Mm -hmm. out one of the things that, that, you know, I've learned is, is for example, you know, history is, is not anything what we were taught in school. Mm -hmm. Um, And in some ways it's the exact (laughs) opposite of, of what we were taught in school. And And in some ways, it's it's not, but it's it's never clean. Like we're always taught this like clean history, mm-hmm. and that's just never what it is. It's not what it is. It's not what the human condition is. And so I think that applies to so much other aspects of our life. You know, people are complicated. Ideas are complicated, and mm-hmm. and and we need to have a way to to weave, you know, through the maze of these ideas to to come to our own conclusions of what you know what's important and and what is true. Right. Well, viewpoints and perspectives is we we talk about that in the course as well. And history is, you know, when you're reading the textbook history, that's one viewpoint, right? And it's not even necessarily that it's wrong, although, you know, it can be interpreted one way that another viewpoint from, from, from a different angle doesn't doesn't view as a win, right? <clears throat> and they've got their reasons why. So that's also part of the process of conceptualizing, which is something that I teach in the course. That's that's wonderful. Talk to me a little bit about your history with this. And in other words, you know, how did this affect your life? I think maybe some people might be concerned as they, you know, they they see like the Socratic method and they see some of these things. And, and especially if they're from a, you know, a certain Christian ilk, they may think, Oh mm-hmm. man, is this, is this gonna, is this all this reasoning going to hurt my faith? And, and I think you mentioned that before and I think it's good, but, but talk to me about your, your story, your process, mm-hmm. how this has helped you. Well, <clears throat> I have always been naturally inquisitive for some people to an annoying point. <laughs> But that natural inquisitiveness was, you know, as I was growing up, was very unskilled, right? Which is probably why it became annoying for some people. Because, you know, it's like the proverbial child who always asks why, right? That can become annoying. So I I had always had a natural inquisitiveness. And a lot of people sort of took that as Oh, she's annoying or, you know, she's, you know, challenging things because she no longer believes, right? 
I remember having some conversations with with my pastor at the time. This was, gosh, this was way back when I was I was fresh out of high school, and I was asking some some very deep questions about doctrine. And I was getting what I call the Sunday school answer, right? Which is sort of the surface level. <clears throat> this is all you need to know about it. Right. And I was probing Everything else more. is a mystery. <laughs> right. I was probing more, not because I didn't believe it, but because I really wanted to understand it. Right. Now, at the time, I didn't know I was doing anything called the Socratic method. I didn't actually, the first time that I heard about the Socratic method, was actually in a lecture from R.C. Sproul, who if, if most, I would say, Reformed Christians know who he is. He was the founder of Ligonier Ministries. <clears throat> and I really appreciated Sproul because he, I would say he thought like me in sort of a philosophical, logical way. So the thing about the Socratic method is it's not itself a philosophy, Right. So scripture gives us this warning about not falling for vain or deceitful philosophies. So even though Socrates himself was not a Christian, he, you know, this this method of inquiry that he sort of used and refined and became a methodology is not itself a philosophy, right? All it is is a way of learning about the world around you. So you can take this this methodology, for example, and apply it to scripture, apply it to your own learning of doctrine. You can take it and learn about history. You can take it and learn about science or, or mathematics or ethics or literally anything, because all it is is a learning process. Now, the thing about Socrates is that what what Socrates was best known for was being convicted of misleading the youth of of Athens. Right. Right. And so he was, he was forced forced I'm using air quotes forced to drink hemlock, right? That was his that was his punishment was to drink hemlock, which is a poison and so it killed him. And but you have to ask the question, okay, how was he misleading the youth of Athens? So, you know, at the time, the Greeks believed in the in the Greek pantheon. They had they also had the Senate. They're responsible for coming up with that political idea of the Senate and the Repu- Republic. And what Socrates would do is he would ask questions in order to gain knowledge in order to gain wisdom in order to figure out what virtue was now for his followers he never called them students he didn't think that he was teaching them anything as such so he, they're referred to as his followers his followers were all young mostly men <clears throat> and they followed him because he was inspiring them to be get curious about the world and the way it worked Right now, in the process of doing this, what does Socrates do? He does a couple of things. One, he challenges the politicians who think they know more than they actually do, which, you know, when that is exposed through a series of of questions in a public setting, it can be very embarrassing for the politician who doesn't actually know (laughs) anything. (laughs) 
right? And we can imagine that. But the other thing that it did was Socrates challenged the idea, the the very idea of the Greek pantheon. Socrates was considered an atheist by people who believed in the Greek pantheon. And now as a Christian, some might say, oh, well, this is going to challenge the idea of God. No, 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 no. Remember what I said, the truth holds up to scrutiny, right? So it makes sense that false gods would not hold up to the scrutiny of the Socratic method. It does not make sense that the one true God would not hold up to the scrutiny of the Socratic method. So that's something to remember. At any rate, so that's when I first heard about the Socratic method. It didn't really come back around to me. Think of that infinity loop. It didn't really come back to me and hit me as a methodology as such until I got my degree in philosophy, which was I, I got that degree in 2015. Okay. And then it clicked. And I was like, oh, this is what I've been doing <laughs> in a very unskilled way. And right. oh, there's an actually there's actually a skilled way to do it. So I ended up using this, this method with my own kids in homeschooling. And I firmly believe that, that the one thing that I can give them that is a foundation for everything else, whether it's learning doctrine or learning something new or you know, building skills so that they can have a job and take care of themselves, the one thing that I can teach them is to teach them how to think. And <clears throat> so I've used the Socratic method with my own kids. Now, then 2020 rolls around. And the lockdowns happened. I was actually, I had just had my debate in New York City with Dr. Walter Block at the Soho Forum on a libertarian theory of abortion. That was December 2019. You know, March 2020 rolls around and we're all getting locked down. And so I decided to switch gears at that time and start creating online courses. And so that's where you know, I really got an opportunity. I had been using the Socratic method with my kids and my own independent research. But when I created the courses, that's when I was able to really break that down into a system of sorts that you can see and learn from and then replicate in your own life. And so that's how it came about. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. And, and I think, Man, I, I've I've had so many thoughts as you're going through there. It's just it's a wonderful story. I think one of the things I w- want to touch on is how important it is because you mentioned the lockdowns and how important it is for a free people to be able to have this skill and why specifically <laughs> it's been drummed out of our public school <laughs> systems. You know, because I don't I I really don't think if 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 the majority of people had the skill of being able to think well and be, being able to, to uh, find out how they're manipulated, to be able to, to think through fallacies and what was happening, you know, the lockdown just doesn't happen, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. Well, okay. So the idea of public education actually came from Thomas Jefferson. And th- it was, I mean, the idea that a local community would come together and pull their financial resources so that all the kids in the community could have an education. Like that sounds like quote unquote public education. That's, that's not the issue. That's not the problem with with public education. It's the Prussian 
right. late so the, 19th century. So, <laughs> right. So what Thomas Jefferson and the founders believed was that the only way that you could protect a free society was if everybody had a basic foundational knowledge of, you know, of these ideas of, of the principles of freedom and prosperity and things like that, the proper role of government. Now, I have run into a lot of people who will object to the idea of the abolition of, of public education because they believe that people aren't smart enough to teach their own kids or to find, you know, non-public resources for, for education. Well, that might be true. But the reason why, if that is true, the reason why they're not smart enough to make those decisions is because the public schools failed them to begin with, right? They failed them. To, they failed to teach these things. If you think about it, think back to your own education experience. How did you know, or how were you led to believe that you understood what you were being taught? Well, you took a test, right? And you got That's a right. grade. A, right. B, C, D, or F. Some authority said this is what it is. And this, this is, is what it is. So, right. but how did you prepare for the test? Oh, well, you know, I was given some information in a textbook or a lecture, and I had to memorize that and then make sure that I got the right answer on the test. Okay. But all that is is memory recall, right? <laughs> right. <clears throat> It doesn't, you were never taken through the process of learning how to learn. Okay. And learning and thinking are two sides of the same coin. When you learn, you are, you, you are thinking, right? When you think, you are learning. And so it was simply assumed if you got an A that you learned the, the content and therefore you knew how to think. And that's just simply not true. All you were, uh, all that was tested was your memory recall. Because I'm sure that this is true of you and other people of your audience. How many of you crammed for a test on a subject you did not like? You crammed for the test so you could get the grade, and then you did the memory dump, and you don't remember it anymore. Of course, I mean right? that was I graduated standard high protocol. <laughs> yes, I graduated high school by doing that with my right. old history class. <laughs> so, you know, all you were taught in school was how to regurgitate what your teacher told you to regurgitate. Okay, so let's go back to this concept of public education and what Jefferson was talking about. What Jefferson was talking about was, can you think through and understand why a free, free society is not only necessary, but a million times better than a society where you're being ruled and imposed upon by other people? Well, if you can't answer that question, you, you haven't thought through it. You haven't learned. You have not been educated, right? That's right. So, you know, if, if a community got together, right, and voluntarily pulled their, pulled their resources so that even the adults could learn how to learn, that is the quote unquote public education model that Jefferson talked about. It doesn't have to be paid for by taxes, by the way. <sighs> right. <laughs> but just that process of the community coming together and saying, this is important to us and we need to pull our resources because each of us have a different level of resource. And you guys learn how to learn. That's, that is, that is the, that is what Jefferson was talking about. 
right? And that's a good thing. Now, we'll go back to the question of, well, you know, people are too stupid now to be able to make these decisions for themselves. Okay, even if that's true, the answer isn't keep letting the government do what they do. Because the people who are in government had the same education you did. And if you're too stupid to make decisions for yourself, what makes them smart enough to make decisions for you? Right. No, absolutely. Well, <laughs> or, or, or worse or worse. It, it, right. it's, it's, it's not, they may be stupid or they may be maliciously, you know, trying to control you. <laughs> However right. you want to look at it. It's just like, just like artificial intelligence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, then we ask the question, okay, well, what's the response? Okay, if I'm too stupid to make decisions for myself, what's the response? Well, the only person you have con control over is you. And you are capable of learning. God created you to be a thinking creature. And you can't let somebody else do your own thinking for you. What's the solution? Well, you got to learn how to think. You got to take Carrie's course. You got to take my course. <laughs> You got to take the um, course, learn how to think yeah. and, and, and it, and it applies again. These are, these are concepts that applies so much. I, I mentioned to you before the show, you know, I had Frederick Chu on earlier and he's just a phenomenal classical pianist, one of the greatest of our generation. Mm. And we, and we talked about the importance of putting everything into playing the piano. And he says, you know, if you want to change the world, learn to play the piano. Mm. And, and there's really truth to that. Not because the piano in itself will change the world, but because the effort and the, the, the amount of thinking and the amount of energy and the amount of soul searching that it takes to play the piano properly is so difficult. It's so overwhelming in some cases that you have to, that it will change you in the process yeah. and therefore change the world. And to me, mm -hmm. this is exactly the same kind of idea. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I want to say is a lot of people tend to think that critical thinking is an academic practice, but it's not. You can take the process of learning how to learn, this process of, of thinking and thinking critically and learn how to play the piano, right? My son, my oldest son is not academic, but he's very hands-on. He can take this method and take it into you know, an auto mechanic shop and apply it to his hands-on learning of how to fix a car. Yes. Okay. So this isn't just an academic pre process. This is how the human brain learns things, right? And you can learn anything, right? You can't learn everything, but you can learn anything. And it's usually those things that you have an interest in. So you don't have to be an academic. You don't have to be a nerd in order to take this course or learn how to think well. This is something that humans are designed to do. God designed us to do this. And we all think, but thinking well is a skill and it's a skill that has to be practiced. It's just like you know, your muscles, if you don't exercise them, they atrophy, right? If you don't practice the skill, your skills atrophy and you sort of fall back into this unreflective sort of thinking. You're just, you're just going with the flow, right? <clears throat> so it would apply just as much to a concert pianist as it would an auto mechanic, as it would a bookish nerd. 
<laughs> like me, I'm a bookish nerd. <laughs> oh, you nerd of the book. <laughs> well, all right. Well, I'm trying to see. I had a couple of notes. I want to make sure I got everything. A lot. I think when I think of the Socratic method, I think, and this is just, you know, what I think of is basically asking questions. Now, mm -hmm. is that essentially what it is? Learning how to ask the right questions? You know, what, you know, what, I guess when we talk about thinking, is it a mat, you know, is this inquiry a matter of like asking questions and then perceiving answers or? or so the short answer is yes, it's about asking questions, but Again, think back to your education experience. You were never taught how to ask questions. And I know this because every single time I have, I, I have taught this class, even to adults, we get to the section where I'm now having you ask the questions, people get stumped. They freeze. And they think that asking questions in order to think well involves asking really convoluted, you know, wordy, long, drawn out questions as though that's what's a measure of being profound. And no, that's just your trauma response to word counts that you were assigned in high school. Okay. <laughs> No, you can. So when I, when I, when I teach this, one of the things that I do is I start with very simple questions. Now we were all taught who, what, when, where, why questions. And one of the things that I like to do is to start with those simple questions. And then what I do is I guide you through this process, right? Of diving deep into an idea, starting with a very, very basic question. Who is, so who is Socrates? Right. And so it does not require, yes, it's about asking questions. It's also about responding to those questions. It's creating a dialogue between two or more people, right? It's recognizing that you will observe things that I don't. And so you have information to provide me that I don't have, right? And vice versa. It is a mutual learning process. So it, it's, it's easy to say, yes, it's just about asking questions and giving responses, but that doesn't, that doesn't capture it. Well, right. I mean, for example, like I, and, and I, I'm going to make fun of Sean Hannity here, but, it, but I do, I, I make fun of it because I recognize it in myself, which mm -hmm. is when you, when you ask a question, it has a bunch of, you know, so therefore, if then, then that, don't you understand, blah, blah, blah. So what's the, isn't the answer this? <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and when you become more skilled in your, in your thinking, right, and you have conceptualized and synthesized a number of ideas and you're trying to sort through a problem, you may get to that point. Sure, sure. Right? But, but when, you're, when you're manipulating the question oh, in order yes. to get a certain answer- Right. You know, which I do to myself. I like, like if I emotionally want a certain thing, I'm going to ask certain questions <laughs> that are going yeah. to imply that I go and, you know, spend the money to buy that thing. Right. Um, yeah. So, and no matter like in the self-directed course, I do talk about manipulation and how that can be 
a problem with thinking. So even if you just take the self-directed course and not the live seminars with me, you're still going to get a lesson on manipulation. But yeah, that's true. Manipulation, and it's it's all around us. It's all around us because the vast majority of us go through our day being unreflective thinkers, mm. which I just want to say, not necessarily any fault of your own. That's, you know, if that's how you're raised, that's the education you got. That's <laughs> that's your normal. But you can do something about it, right? For sure. If you want to be able to understand what's happening in politics, or you want to be able to protect yourself during economic downturn, or you want to be able to identify and respond to manipulation, or you're just really curious about astronomy, any of those things, you have to know how to think through them. And it starts with learning how to learn. I want to ask one more question. Because I do find it really fascinating. And, and you talked about like how certain subjects in school you would cram and then get ready. Now, there are other subjects that maybe one loves that doesn't require that because <clears throat> you spend all of your time thinking about it and you spend mm-hmm. all of your time. And so is, is this process that you teach uncorking that for other aspects of your life, because it is something we do naturally, you know, if for something that we're passionate about, you know, if, if, if I'm in love with a, with a lady, I'm thinking about her all the time and I'm thinking about, you know, like it's, it's all about her. And so, you know, but, but uncorking that in other aspects, I think is is (laughs) the difficult part. (laughs) So here's the thing. And this is why there's, there's a movement towards self-directed learning for kids right? Is because when you are interested in something, you are going to pursue it just naturally. You will intuitively think through that thing that you're interested in simply because you're interested in it. Now, intuitive thinkers, and I would say I'm, I'm an intuitive thinker. Intuitive thinkers, what they would get, what they would, well, first of all, intuitive thinkers can kind of go through life and consider themselves good thinkers just simply because they're quite intuitive about it and they're pretty good at it just naturally. Okay. So those people exist. The benefit to taking a course like this is that you're still turning that mirror on yourself and thinking about your own thinking and then coming to a conscious awareness of what that process is for you. Right. And that is still, no matter what, the next step to improving your own thinking skills. Even if you're an intuitive thinker, being conscious and aware of that process that's happening, even with those those things that you're interested in, only improves your ability to think. And the other thing I want to say, and this sort of touches back on on your question about the Socratic method being simply about asking questions. Once you learn how to ask questions, you can ask them strategically. Right. So there's a series of questions that I teach you that help you get just a general level of understanding of an idea. Right. You come across a book, for example, and you're not sure if you want to read it or not. You've got to get some level of understanding of the book in order to decide if it's something you're interested in. Right. This is true of, you know, kids who are exploring 
you know, subjects that they like or dislike. You have to come to a, a general understanding. So I teach you these strategic questions for coming to a general understanding of an idea or a book or whatever. So you can decide if you want to pursue it or not. Right. And then you've got questions to help you that strategize the process of conceptualization, actually holding that idea in your mind and learning every facet of it and figuring it out. And then you have questions that are strategic towards analysis and figuring out, is it a good idea? Is, is the way I'm thinking about it correctly? Correct. And then you have strategic questions for synthesis. How do you actually incorporate that into the ideas that you that already exist in your head, right? So whether you're an intuitive thinker or you're an unreflective thinker, you have an opportunity to improve your skills by becoming conscious and aware of your thought life. And then learning to ask questions in a strategic way so that you are intentionally learning things about the world. And that's powerful. That's good. And that's, that's really important. Let's, um, let's finish up here. Tell people when, how they can start your courses. When's your next live seminar? Like what, what are your plans? And give us the details on that. So you can find all the information at libertyseminar.com. And that's just a redirect to a page on my website, mereliberty.com. But if you go to libertyseminar.com, you can see the syllabus. You can get some more information about the, the, the course. Like I said, there will be a self-directed version, which is just the audio lessons that you find online. And then there's a master course version, which is the self-directed plus the live seminars with me, where I'm guiding you through this process and practicing these skills that you learn in the self-directed course with an object lesson. And so you can find all of that at libertyseminar.com. I am planning on opening up live seminars in February. And those those are 10 live sessions. I am playing with the idea of doing them twice a week versus once a week sort of depends on which, you know, how people sign up for for those courses. The more you practice this, the more you practice the more frequently you practice these skills, the more the 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 better you are able to actually build and practice them over time, which is what I want you to do, right? So, I am toying with whether or not to do it weekly or two, you know, two seminars a week. But we'll figure that out when I open up the, <laughs> when I open up the session. I will probably I will probably have both options, and whichever one fills up first will will be it. Now, I will say, whenever I open up a live session, I call it a cohort. I can only take fifteen students at a time, so they fill up fast. If I get more than 15 students or more than 15 people wanting to take the live spin up new co- cohorts so, so that they can do that. Um, so, but all of that will happen in early February. All right. Well, go over, sign up, look at the syllabus. I think you'll be very impressed as I was. And um, thank you, Carrie, so much for, for coming on and of Love Remains. It's really a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've had fun. Mike is gone. You are listening to End of Love Remain. Gone but not forgotten. First of 23 installments requested by Dr. Levitt.
trying to be in compliance here because we're taking him and that whole organization.